Amen. So we're giving, we'll be in Deuteronomy today, chapter 1. Uh, we will be traveling through this book together. And it's quite ironic that we are traveling through this book, looking at the traveling of these Hebrew children as they find themselves at Mount Moriah or Mount Sinai under instruction of, of Moses. Today's sermon will be another recollection of events that have happened in the life of the Hebrew people as they were traveling in the wilderness. And now Moses has gathered the congregation of the Hebrew nation up on the hill at, at uh, Sinai or Horeb, and he is giving them instruction. He is reminding them of their ancestors' sin, the very sin that brought them to the place where they are now, and that is the sin of disobedience, or disobedience being sin. Moses tells the story, or the narrative, mind you, of how the people disobeyed the word of the Lord and how they failed to trust him simply at his word. Let me remind you of a little bit of the Hebrew culture, just so for a moment we can disconnect our, our westernized eyes from ancient texts for just a moment. In Hebrew culture, the word on the street was as good as, as gold. Because to say anything that God did not say or bearing false witness was equivalent to taking the Lord's name in vain or blaspheming against the Lord our God. And so the transmission of thus says the Lord was taken very, very strictly. So I'll ask you if you will, let's stand for the reading of the word. Look at verse 19. I will be reading from verse 19 to verse 22. And then we'll handle, or 21, and then we'll handle the remainder of those verses uh, together in closing. The word of the Lord says, beginning at verse 19 of chapter 1 of Deuteronomy, the Bible says, Then we set out from Horeb and went through all the great and terrifying wilderness that you saw, and all the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set up the land before you. Go up, take possession, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of the word. And may we hear what he says to the church, and you may be seated. When I'm reading scripture, sometimes I like to underline portions in the Bible and, and take note of those. And so I've, I made a note of this particular passage, this last phrase that I read to you, where the Lord commanded, do not fear or be dismayed, which is the very thing that the people of Israel did. When I read this account... The story, the narrative here, as I was recollecting upon this passage, I, it makes me think of my own children. You might say, well, Pastor, what you mean? Well, not so much at the disobedience. Now, all of our children will disobey. 
I mean, because we have sinful nature, we will disobey. But not so much in the disobedience, but in the way they ask to hear stories from the past. I remember uh, many times the boys would overhear me telling a story or recollecting something from the past. And, and sometimes I would be talking to my brother uh, about something that we, something stupid that we did in the past. And, and my boys would be sitting in the back just soaking it up like a sponge. And by the way, they listen to your conversations. And so we'll be telling a story, me and Uncle John. We'll be telling a story. And they would overhear this story from the past. And they would say, Daddy, could you tell me about the time when Uncle John hit you upside the head with a wrench? True story. Wasn't necessarily upside the head. Might as well have been in the lip one time. He was, he was probably six years old at the time. Or they might say, tell me about that time that you put the chocolate X-Lax in the teacher's coffee thermos. And I'm like, well, I didn't think you heard that. <laughs> but sure, I'll tell you. Not that the stories would make me proud, but to be used as a teaching tool to say, don't do the stupid things we did, boys. To be used as a teaching tool. Now, this is a retelling of Israel's refusal to go into the land that God had promised them. But before I carry on in the narrative itself, uh, I, I need to address something in terms of crime and punishment. In fact, Numbers 13 is the original narrative. It is the original story that is, that is told of how the people disobeyed the Lord and, and how they were judged. Now, if one did not know the history of the Hebrew people, you would look at this discourse and say, man, it seems that the Lord was really harsh on His people. One might even be inclined to say that the crime or the punishment, the punishment exceeds the crime. Not fair, so to speak. The judgment that was on this generation from 20 years and below would be that they were allowed to enter in. But the 20 and above, they were not allowed to, be enter, to enter into the promised land. And neither was Moses, as Moses will retail, because of his anger. Uh, and, uh, and he would not be allowed to enter in uh, as well. And we would look at this and we would say, well, they failed to go in to the promised land. And because of this, God judged them that that generation was going to die in the wilderness. And only those that are 20 and below would be allowed to enter in. And we would say, that does not sound like a fair punishment at all. Because the newer generation would wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. It sounds like a story where the punishment didn't match the crime, or it might sound harsher than what one deserves. But as reflecting upon Hebrew history, the biblical narrative of the Hebrew people, one must remember that they saw the Lord God bring them out of Egypt by His mighty hand. There was a generation that as they were heading towards the promised land, when they were hungry, what did God do? He fed them. He gave them manna from heaven. And when they complained about that, it would give them quail till it come out their nostrils. 
He led them on the way by a pillar of fire and a cloud. He led them on the way. He saw Moses stand upon the Red Sea. And God used Moses to part this body of water. And they would walk, walk across in freedom on dry and dusty land. God has given them ample reason to trust Him. And here they stand doubting the very Word of God. So based upon the probability so far... The judgment absolutely fits the crime. You have seen God do mighty works, and here you stand in disobedience. And in case we're looking for some application, when you walk with the Lord for many years, one would think that you would be able to trust Him evermore. Have you seen God do good things in your life? Have you seen God bring you through adversities and suffering for His name's sake? Now Moses fixes his attention to the journey from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea. And it is interesting that this is the place where the journey started. If you were to look at a map, you would see this big circle where they wandered and went around for 40 years. And what would be an 11-day journey would end up being a time of trial and judgment for the people. And no doubt the Bible tells us that this was a dreadful time for the people. But it was because of their own failure to obey the word of the Lord. Had they simply just trusted God at His word. Listen church. Had they simply trusted God at His word, they would have been sustained and they would have flourished. How many times we trip and fail in life because we don't take God at His word? He reminds the people, I want you to look out. The Lord has given you this land that lies before you. Go in, possess it, just as the Lord your God of your ancestors commanded you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. If there is one thing that we learn through the word of God is that the battle belongs to God. And these words are certainly, I believe they certainly are a reflection of the voice of reason that come from Caleb, recorded in Numbers 13 and 30, when Caleb says, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able, able to overcome it. Caleb knew, much like David knew, the battle belongs to the Lord. It wasn't about the, the story of the narrative about David and Goliath, it isn't about facing the giants in your life. It is not. It is about the Lord winning the battle. It is the battle belongs to God, not David. Let us go up at once and occupy it. The undertone here would be Caleb trust the Lord at his word. And we'll find that Jacob... Um, Joshua and Caleb will be the only ones to enter in. Well, I'll submit to you in two points this morning. Number one being, invest, investigate the goodness of God. 
investigate the goodness of God. Like the spies went in to Canaan to investigate the land, to see if it was the land flowing with milk and honey. Investigate the goodness of God. As, as David wrote in the Psalm, Psalm 34, verse 8, to try the Lord, to see if he is the Lord of promise. In other words, he says, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the person who trusts in him. So Moses, he continues retelling this history of the people and what happened. So let's fix our attention on verse 22. The place where we left off, he says, that all of you have come near me and you have said, let us send men before us, these 12 spies, that they may explore the land for us and bring us word. Again, he is retelling Numbers chapter 13, he's retelling this Bring word to us by the way by which we must go up and the cities into which we shall come. Because there are fortified cities. They, 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 the, city is, the town is built for war. There are mighty warriors in that town. There are great men of, 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 of warriors, if you will, in that town. And we are just like grasshoppers to them. It is amazing how crippling fear can be. See, I grew up in a what you would consider to be a full gospel a holiness church. And one of the things I always remember the pastor, Brother Lomax McLean, saying, saying as he preached many times was that you either have faith or you have fear. That's true. You either have faith in the Lord or you are fearful. And it is amazing how crippling fear can be and how detrimental it is to our walk with the Lord Jesus. And why is it a detriment to our walk with the Lord? Because if we can't trust the Lord to see us through the small events in life and sometimes big events, how will we ever believe that He is the author and the finisher of our faith and that one day He is coming to reconcile this world back to Himself? Now why do I mention fear? It is because this proposal from the people to send these spies in is out of fear. They proposed this course of action because of their unbelief. They wanted to see for themselves. And even though Moses misunderstood their motives because he says it seemed like a good thing to me, and that God was not pleased with this very thing, he permitted it or even sanctioned it to be, so they can follow their own counsel, which was used just to bring home the point that they did not trust the leadership, nor did they trust God's counsel. They didn't trust the Lord. Now don't get me wrong, I believe it is, it is important to investigate our faith. It is, it is good to investigate the reasonableness of our Christian faith and that the truthfulness of Christianity... I always use the illustration of a diamond, a fine diamond, a fine jewel. You can look out on every side and investigate Jesus, and he's good from every angle. Amen? Good from every angle. It's good to investigate. It is good to invest in, in knowing about our faith. It, it is a good thing. That is, if the intentions are for us to grow. If our intentions are us, for us to grow in our faith, it is certainly a good thing. But make no mistake about it. They wanted to see to believe. And that's really not how faith works. It is not to see to believe, but it is believing, and then God demonstrates that His Word is true. Now, God is, His Word is true whether or not we affirm it or not. 
His word is true whether or not we say, yeah, it's true. It's true whether it is or not, but it is that we believe and then God demonstrates that his word is absolutely true. We see it time and time again in our faith. Moses says in verse 23, it says, the thing seemed good to me. We didn't know their motives. He says, and I, and I took 12 men from you and a man from each tri- tribe. And they turned and they went up into the hill country and they came to the valley of Eskol and they spied it out. Taken from Numbers 13, verse 3 through t- uh, 33. For those who might want to reference that and, and read that account. 12, tri- uh, 12 spies were chosen and e- from each tribe and each person is mentioned by name. Very specific. This person from this tribe, and, and they are mentioned by name. Now, have, have you ever had those ideas that seem to be very good at first, and then later it's like, whoa, that, that's not a very good idea. You ever had those, those things happen in life? You think, well, this sounds very spiritual. Let's do that. And then you find out later, whoa, maybe this ain't where the Lord was leading after all. And so this sounded like it was a, a good idea at first. And upon further exa- examination, they found out that they were indeed in sin for failing to obey and, and trust the word of the Lord. A good example of this I can share with you this morning. Not long ago, it, it's been a few years ago, um, we decided that we were going to host a small group in, in our home. Okay, and uh, all the families who attended at the time had younger children, maybe uh, four or five years old, maybe, some, some around that age. And we thought it was a good idea to have a small group in our home. Our idea was let the kids play in the next room, and we'll meet for our group in this room. Well, the rooms were not separated by a wall or anything. The hallways here, living room, their room. Now, as you can imagine, as we began to meet, the kids played, just as kids do, mind you, they played very loud and we couldn't concentrate. Now, we love to hear kids play. We love to hear children play, having a good time, because guess what? That's what children do. All right? They play, they have fun together, they enjoy playing together. Sometimes they're mean to one another too, because that's what kids do as well. But it's not so much if you're trying to have a small group together. Good idea. Not so much in practice. The problem with what seemed good to Moses was the intentions were full of doubt. The Bible says in verse 25, And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land, and they brought it down to us. And they brought us word again and said, It is a good land that the Lord has given to us. That we affirm, yes. Amen. Let's enter in. No, not so fast. But listen, uh, chapter 13 of Numbers, verse 23 says this, that they had to carry one cluster of grapes on a pole between two men along with some pomegranates and figs. That's some big fruit. The Lord was definitely, uh, definitely had fertile land there. And they would say, well, this is it. This is, this is the land. This is the land flowing with milk and honey. This is the land that has everything that, that is needed to sustain life there. Let's enter in. But not so fast. Verse 26. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of your Lord, your God. And you not only did you rebel, but the Bible says in verse 27, you murmured in your tent and said, because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Oh, woe is me. And if this is, isn't a commentary 
on the immature Christian life, I don't know what is. What do I mean by that? We often say God is good, don't we? Now we believe it. I believe it. You believe it. It's easy to say that when things go our way. But then it turns into woe is me when they don't. We find ourselves as followers of Jesus sitting in sackcloth and ashes and blame everybody and everything on our plight in life instead of trusting that the Lord will see us through. It goes for obstacles in life. It goes for preference-driven agendas in life and in the life of the church. And if you want to see someone complain in church, change something. Change the order of service a little bit or change the way we quote-unquote do church. And it is strikingly similar when Moses says, You murmured in your tents and the Lord hate us and has brought us out here to die. Sometimes, now let me tell you this, I had a guy one time and I, had, uh, I was ministering to a church and we left at that church and the Lord called us here at Piney Grove and this, this fellow, he was, I mean, he was, he was kind of like this, he was murmuring, complaining a little bit and uh, I was trying to counsel him a little bit because he still kind of seen, saw me as his pastor and I said, brother, I'm going to have to take off my pastoral robe here for a minute, if, you, if mind you, and uh, and in a more or less way, I said, listen, man, you need to grow some tougher skin. You need to grow some tougher skin. And I hope that doesn't come across in a harsh or in a bad way. But sometimes I just want to tell people, we need to grow some tougher skin. I mean, listen, the world doesn't revolve around you. It doesn't revolve around me. It revolves around the finished work of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, our King. And he says, why, uh, where are we going up, they say. Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, listen, we had all of this hope we were going to enter in. The grapes were, I mean, the, the grapes were big as, as softballs coming off of this thing. And, and man, we were so excited. And then all of a sudden, our brothers told us these things, and our hearts melted when they said, the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are, are great and fortified up to the heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there, the Nephilim, if you will, or those sometimes translated the giants. There's giants in them, in them hills there. And so as you can imagine, short people like me, I would have turned tail and headed the other way too. And it seemed like all hope was lost. What was promising now seemed to dash their hopes to pieces. And we can easily say, well, how dare thee? How dare they not enter in? Couldn't they trust the Lord? But imagine we were in that situation. The Amorite people are guarding the entrances, not to mention they are people of mighty stature. They are mighty warriors. The Anakim are, are the, the mighty warriors. They are war people, sometimes translated. They are war people. People bred for war. And here's where Moses reminds them of how how the people of God have been protected and provided for over the ages. You see, he, listen, you remember? Don't be in dread. I just told you, verse 29, do not be in dread or fearful of them. Don't be afraid of them. Must I remind you that the Lord goes before you himself to fight for you? 
just as he did. But can, I, can I remind you of what the Lord did in Egypt in your eyes? Now I got to remind you what he did in the wilderness where you have seen the Lord your God carry you. <laughs> Listen to this. As a man would carry his son. You think the Lord loves his people? Carries them like a son all the way. And then you came to this place. Yet in spite of the word, you did not believe the Lord your God. Who went before you in the way to seek you out. A place to pitch your tents in fire by night and in the cloud by day. To show you the way that you will go. The Lord has demonstrated in history, time and again. That he is for us and not against us. Amen? That unless you are at enmity or enemy with the Lord, he is for you and not against you. And so naturally, you would think of Romans 8 and 31 that says, What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Speaking of the elect of God, who can be against you if God is for you? God has been faithful in keeping the posterity of the Hebrew people intact for the sake of the Messiah, even in spite of themselves. He led them by the cloud of by cloud and day and fire by night, and some would even parallel this to the work of the Holy Spirit. It is a great discipline. Talk about disciplines of the faith, praying and fasting and reading the word. It's also a great discipline to remember the past, not to dwell in it. Now, I don't think that we ought to dwell in the past, and, but to recognize the place where God has brought us from to the place where he brought, he's brought us to and the future that we have in Christ. A few weeks ago, the challenge was to come off the mountain, right? You spent too long on the mountain to move ahead and move where God would have you go, walking closer in Him. And for some, it was you need to stay a little bit longer and learn. I remember the desert places in my life, those dry and spiritual places in, in, in my life as a, as a follower of Jesus, those places that seem like the plains of Moab. Have you been there in your life? where it seems that you were in a spiritual drought. I have been in these places, a spiritual drought where it seemed that in those places that I was far from God, but there's also times in those places and in the valleys where I seemed to walk closer to the Lord than I have ever before. And I began to think about this, the hardships in life, the troubles, the tribulations that we have, I begin to think about this and how bland life would be and how stagnant our life would be without those dark spots and those struggles because it is, it is when we reflect upon them, when we know that our Savior is not very far away. And I'm glad of that. Not that we rejoice in our spiritual drought but we use them to look back and say, man, Jesus was there all along. He was there all along. I, I was reflecting upon the words of a song this week, and I posted some of the words on social media this week. And, and it's a song called, and you may or may not have heard of it, The Rest and the, and the Rest is Mystery. 
And upon reading these passages in Deuteronomy, my mind went immediately to these words. And where God has brought me from, and you can relate as well, where God has brought us from and where we are now in Him. And the words of that song says, You have made us your sons and daughters. You have showed us the way for the brokenhearted to finally be made whole. To escape the shame of the things that we've done and the pain of the things done to us. I believe the Lord wants us to remember what He has done, especially concerning the life, death, and resurrection of His Son. The Israelites had a long, long road ahead of them and behind them, and so do we. It, it will do us well to reflect upon the work of Jesus, to investigate His goodness to us, and to live out our lives. And I, and I bet, I just, I, I, if I was a betting man, and I was to bet this morning, that if you as a Christ follower, a follower of Jesus, I bet that you would not have very far to dig until you find the treasures of His goodness. But then, Moses gets a little bit more serious here. The price of sin. Because the price of sin is too costly. Verse 34, when the Lord heard your complaints, the Bible says he became angry and declared, I swear that not one of this evil generation will see the good land that I promised to give to your ancestors. And what a fearful thing it is to fall in the hands of an angry God. What a fearful thing it is to fall under the wrath of an angry God. Now, here's the thing. We like to flavor our theological discussions with just the love of God. It is true that God is love. And we ought to expound upon that in our lives. That God is love and the person of Jesus is testimony to that. But not only is God love, but God is also a just God that judges sin. Do you believe that? Part of God's love is also His justice. And what kind of a loving God would not ultimately judge sin that is committed against Him and sin that is committed against each other? So God is a God of love just as much as He is a God of justice. And I believe sometimes we flavor our theological discussions just on the love of God when both of them are equally important in our discussion. And it would do us well, it would do us well to think of the Lord as a God that demands and expects His people to follow Him. Why? Because we love our Savior. Because we love Jesus. And that might sound like an oversimplistic question or an answer to that question, but it is certainly true, no matter. Verse 36 says, Except Jephniah, son of Caleb, and I probably butchered that name, but the son of, uh, of uh, Caleb, he will see to it, and I will give to him and his descendants the land on which he has walked, because he wholeheartedly followed the Lord. Verse 37, the Lord was also furious with me because of you. There is where Moses says, hey, I'm not going to enter in either. The Lord is mad with me because I acted out in anger. And the Lord was angry with me. He said, you will not enter into the land. However, 
Nun's son, Joshua. Joshua, the son of Nun, your assistant, will go there. And here's where the Lord says to Moses, You encourage him, for he will cause Israel to take possession of it. Now, the only two that were allowed to enter into the land was Caleb and Joshua. And it is interesting to see this played out in history. Because if I have learned anything from Scripture about God's people, God's Word over and again displays to me that God will always have a people who will be faithful to Him. Now, the world will melt around us. The the world might melt away. And there might be, in every walk of life, there might only be two followers of Jesus left on earth. But the Lord God will always have somebody who will follow Him close and clean. And this has been played out through all of history. Some might use the word remnant. I would just use the phrase, truly His. Now today, those who are in Jesus Christ, they will pursue Him. They will love Him. They will obey Him, and they will follow Him. And here's the thing about it. You love Jesus? Are you a follower of Christ? We don't have to beg people to worship Jesus. We don't have to beg and plead people to worship Him. We don't have to beg people to obey the Word of the Lord. I don't have to persuade you to be in prayer. I don't have to talk you into praying to the Lord. You do so because you love Him. I I shouldn't have to stand here and express the value of reading His Word. If you love Him, you'll do it. I don't have to stand here and persuade you to pray to the Lord God. If you love Him, you'll do it naturally. We don't have to beg people to obey. See, Caleb and Joshua, they knew. And those who are following the Lord close and clean, they know as well. And for those too young to understand, the Bible says this, your little ones, some use this as a proof text for an age of accountability, saying your little ones whom you said would be taken captive and your children who you do not know right from wrong will enter into the land. I will give it to them and they, will, they themselves will possess it. They didn't know any better. And then they will follow some of the same habits. They will follow through some of their same habits. You don't believe that? Read the book of Judges. Read the book of Kings. Read the book of Chronicles. Who is this generation coming in? And mark how many times the phrase is used, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. But I want you to listen carefully. Without the leadership from the Holy Spirit and the Word of God in our lives and fellowship one with another, we will follow close behind and fall into the trap of sin as well. One of the greatest lies I believe that we can tell ourselves is that we can walk this life in Christ alone and without aid. I think that's one of the greatest lies that we tell ourselves. I got it. It's just me and my homeboy, Jesus. Moses says in verse 40, But as for you, prepare to set out for the desert on the way to the Red Sea. You responded to me and said, We have sinned against the Lord. We're, we're now going to go up and fight according to the, the word of the Lord. We're going to go up now. So each man put on his weapon and went into battle recklessly. They started out on the hill. And as the old saying is, too little too late. And why is it too little too late? Does it seem like they repented? 
in haste. They put on their battle garment and went up. No, we're going to do it. We're going to do it, Lord. We, we, we apologize. We're going to do it, but too little, too late. Why? Because it is not from a place of true repentance. Then the Lord said, now you tell them not to go up and fight because I am not in their midst. I'm not with them. I spoke to you, but you didn't listen. Instead, you rebelled against the command of the Lord and you went up to the hill country. I'm not going to be with you. If you march out into battle, it's going to be on your own. I'm not going to be with you. You didn't listen here and it's not, you're not repentant now. Even as they went up to do battle, they still didn't believe the word of the Lord. I'm not going to be with you. Hey, I don't care. I'm going anyway. Even in their rebellion, even as they marched on, they did not believe the word of the Lord. And if God would not keep us from judgment, we would try to force his hand. It's exactly what they're doing. We'll try to force your hand, God. We'll take it on our own. The Amorites who lived in the, in the hill country, they came out to engage you in battle. They pursued you like bees do. And they crushed you from Seor to Hormah. And you returned and cried out to the Lord's presence. But the Lord didn't hear your voice. He didn't listen to you because it wasn't true repentance. You remained in Kadesh for many days and it was a long time indeed. The wages of sin and grapes. Disobedience. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, said, You want to be a Christian? Meanwhile, your heart is set upon getting riches. You would store your mind with the learning and wisdom of the world. You wish to gain repute as a good talker in company and a guest at a social horde. Ambition prompts you to seek fame amongst your fellows. He says, well, I shall not denounce any of these things, but I would use every persuasion to induce you who are believers in Christ to renounce the world. If Christ has redeemed you, he has henceforth a claim on you as his servant. And it is at your peril that you take up any pursuits that are inconsistent with a full surrender of yourself to him. Why many Christians never obtain to any eminence in the divine life is because they let the floods of their life run away in a dozen little rivulets, whereas if they cooped them up in one channel and sent them one stream rolling all to the glory of God, there would be such a force and power about their character that they would live while they lived. So what is he saying? Give it to God. Trust the Lord. What we see here, the price of sin is way too costly. And on this side of the cross and on the other, first, it is costly for those under the sound of my voice today who are in Christ, followers of Christ Jesus, and yet are struggling with following Jesus. And it is difficult following the word. It is difficult in that respect for you today. He is calling you simply to trust him at his word. You might be going through a hard time. You might be going through some suffering. You might be going through some trials and tribulations. You might be going through some illness or sickness. He is calling you today. I hope you're hearing me. Trust in His word. And much like Caleb and Joshua who trusted the Lord, we must do so as well. And it was costly to set out on our own. And for those who are not in Christ, the price of sin is too costly at that. And what I mean is this, a well-known verse 
that we find in what we call the Romans Road. Romans chapter 6, 23. Hopefully you know this verse by heart that says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, what are the wages that I receive for my sin? What, do I, what does my paycheck look like? My che- paycheck for my sin is that of death. It was costly for the Lord who gave His Son, and it is costly for those that live in sin. Why? Why is it costly? Well, because to die without Christ is to be forever separated from the goodness of God. But I want you to listen very carefully to this here. And although we might be separated from the goodness of God, we will be eternally, or those who are outside of Christ, for those outside of Christ will be subjected eternally to His wrath. Think about that. Separated from His goodness, subjected eternally to His wrath. Now people talk about hellfire and brimstone all the time. I hear this all the time. We need that fire and brimstone preaching. We need that kind of preaching now in our pulpits. But the reality is we need the preaching that calls sin, sin, and that there is a reality of hell and there there needs to be repentance. I could preach hellfire and brimstone all day and it can roll off your back like duck, like the water on a duck's back. And so we must preach what calls sin, sin, and the reality of hell. And that reality is not total separation from God, but a constant eternity of His wrath forever and ever. That is the true hell. Can I remind you what David said? Taste and see that He is good. Trust in Him today. Lay aside that doubt, that fear that is hindering you for fully trusting Him at His Word. Let's, uh, let's pray together.